Yoginamape sarve sam matkate nantaratmana shradavan bhajate yomam same yukta tamo mataha. And of all yogis, the one with great faith who always abides in me thinks of me within himself and renders transcendental loving service to me, is the most intimately united with me in yoga and is the highest of all. That is my opinion. Humajana trimanandasya janajana salakaya chakshuran militanyena tasmai shri gurave namaha I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. So, these concluding verses, Krishna is answering uh, Arjuna's uh, question as to the, the position of one who's not able to complete his practice, uh, to complete, to complete perfection uh, after taking to the path. Krishna begins the text 40, the Supreme Personality of God had said, O son of Pritha, a transcendentalist engaged in auspicious activities does not meet with destruction either in this world or in the spiritual world. One who does good, my friend, is never overcome by evil. You hear the word, uh, that is my opinion, but um what, what is a Pratapad trying to get at? No, that's Krishna's. Oh. Krishna's saying that is my opinion. Oh. Well, that's, a, that's a text. Yeah, is, but it's good that you brought that up. I was going to bring that up. I thought it was a curious line when I read yeah. also. Huh? I thought it was a curious line also. It's always been a curious line to me. and uh, Because his opinion down? is truth. I mean, there's no question of it being different. I mean, it's almost like the line there is like, yeah. me saying, oh, that is my opinion means there's like this sort of openness, but Krishna saying that there's no question, you know, I mean, like, I don't know. When I read the line earlier yesterday, I was like, that's kind of a... That's always struck me as being, like, strange. And I'm looking, and I'm not seeing anything in the Sanskrit that says, like, opinion. Well, then then what's the significance of Prabhupada making the point? That's your question. Uh, Well, why would he interject that when it's not in the Sanskrit? It's it's, it's right here. It's by me. He, he, yeah. uh, the, the yogi, by me, Lord Krishna, the greatest yogi is considered. But this is my opinion. Now, maybe the last time is considered. Right. He's referring to that. But yeah. yeah. But so I that's thought, that's that that's also good. Yeah. yeah. It's Krishna's really. considered opinion. <laughs> it's my considered opinion. Right. Okay. Mataha, my Yuktatamo, the greatest yogi. Basically, my personal mm-hmm. sense of it is, first of all, Prapa in his, in his translation of this verse is giving us a sense of the, of the nature of Krishna. We need to always remember that Krishna is an individual person. And of course, Krishna's devotees will always accept his opinion as being topmost, because they're fully dedicated to him. There are other transcendentalists who do not even accept the existence of Krishna, but they're still transcendentalists. They're still on the. They're still considered transcendentalists. The impersonalists have no interest in a personal god. 
but they still are, are making advancements spiritually and their desire is to merge into the Supreme Lord's fulgence, his Brahma Jyoti. Krishna is giving his opinion in Bhagavad Gita to his dear most friend Arjuna. That isn't to say that his opinion is the only, only opinion. This is a, you know, we're all independent living entities. We're part and parcel of Krishna. We have our minute independence. Krishna, of course, for the, for the Vaishnav, yes, it is painful for the Vaishnav to, to think that there would be anyone that would, that would not accept Krishna's opinion as topmost. But there are classes of transcendentalists that don't even accept Krishna as topmost. What to speak of his opinion? Those yogis who have the, those, that sentiment are there. Krishna does not completely discount their, uh, their opinion. They have their own opinion also. Mm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sankaracharya and, and his whole followers, they basically take all the, all the, basically we understand through disciplic succession that the Ada, all the knowledge that's coming down in disciplic succession is actually the breathing of the Supreme Lord. Krishna is imparting all Vedic knowledge. The knowledge we receive through disciplic succession. And our disciplic succession is coming directly from the creator of the universe. This is the Brahma Sampradaya. And his knowledge came directly from Krishna through mature meditation. That is the opinion we accept. Now those impersonalists Sankaracharya, they have their own interpretation of what is the Vedas. So they give their own opinion. And that opinion is not going to coincide with that of the bona fide Sampradaya coming down from Lord Brahma or the other bona fide Vaishnav Sampradayas. There are four Sampradayas. One from Brahma. Go ahead. It's such an interesting choice of words, my opinion. He could yes. use something else like, it is my, my choice or my will. You, know? you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a strange, uh, strange set of words, you know. Uh, you know. But the point is that, that this, is, this Bhagavad Gita, this is Krishna's opinion. We accept Krishna's right. opinion. Right. But just because Krishna is God doesn't mean that he doesn't, he doesn't understand and also allow people opinions independent of his. Okay, that makes sense. If there was only God's opinion and no other opinions were admitted, yeah. then this, there, what is the question of devotional service? Devotion entails specifically, mm-hmm. as Prabhupada points out in the purport to this verse, that concept of bhaj. That it's not just worship of the Supreme, but it's worship, it's service. It's more than just worship. Opinion is not on material platform. It's like he still can see and mention some material things like <coughs> he knows that here we talked about the month, October, November, that we have a name for the month. Mm-hmm. So opinion is maybe one of the like that. I don't quite follow. You don't, you don't understand? Mm. 
So we'll, we'll step back here for a minute and, uh, and look at these, starting with verse 40. The first thing that Lord Krishna says to Arjuna in regards to his question regarding the fallen yogi, someone who's not able to complete the process, is that there's no loss. There is no loss. There, it's not that any progress that he's made on the path will be lost to him. And, and he goes on, and he specifically says, my friend, showing the loving relationship that he has with Arjuna, that if you, you engage in, in auspicious activities, proper spiritual activities, those activities are never destroyed. So whatever advancement we make in, in the practice of yoga, specifically bhakti yoga, but whatever practice we make towards advancing ourselves spiritually, that, that progress is never lost. Now that isn't to say that it may not be, uh, we may not be detoured for some time. We may take some detour uh, due to our conditioning, due, some, due to some offense, uh, we may be cursed. <laughs> so many things may happen on the path of spiritual, spiritual progress. But still, as we progress, that progress is never lost to us. In the following verses here, Lord Krishna gets specific, very specific about exactly how one is reintroduced to his yoga practice according to the advancement that he's made on the path of yoga, on the path of self-realization. We'll go over those different uh, positions. Now, one thing that he says in this first purport that's very interesting, I don't know if any of you picked up on it. Uh, I think it's in this first purport. But it, it, in the verse we're just reading here. And I, I thought this was interesting, just like you found interesting the, the, the statement about Krishna's opinion. This is also very interesting because it sheds some real light. Prabhupada's purport sheds some real light on the practice of bhakti. And uh, it's in the uh, very first paragraph. Uh, and, uh, Prabhupada says, Even though he may be subjected to the reactions of not perfectly executing prescribed duties, he is not a loser. Because auspicious Krishna consciousness is never forgotten, and one so engaged will continue to be so, even if he is low-born in the next life. Prabhupada, prior to that, says it's enjoined in the scripture that one has to suffer the reactions of not executing prescribed duties. Therefore, one who fails to discharge 
transcendental activities properly become subject, subjected to these reactions. And I found that very interesting. Just think that, that Prabhupada makes a distinct segregation there between material activities that, may, that one may neglect in order to take the spiritual life and transcendental activities. Now in the verse, Krishna is speaking specifically of those never those activities in our devotional practice that are never lost in our, in our progressive path of yoga. Those, that advancement that we make, wherever we make it to, that's where we take off if we don't complete it or if we get sidetracked, if we take a detour. But that does not exempt us from from possibly being subjected to being neglectful in our material life in taking to the practice of devotional service. Take for example, I, I am a, I'm a young man. Like This would be something that probably would I can speak from experience. So, when I first came to Krishna Consciousness, I was very young. I was uh, uh, I just had my first child, 19. And uh, I had a young wife and a young child. And we, we came to, the, to Krishna Consciousness. And we tried. We went to the farm in West Virginia and we lived in an A-frame. And then we, end, we ended up, in the, after four or five months, going on the road uh, in buses on a road show. It was too much for my young wife. And of course myself, going through the changes of, of trying to get inspired spiritually, you become neglectful in your, in your household affairs. You become neglectful to your wife. Uh, you probably become antagonistic because you're having such a difficult time taking on austerities you're not used to. Well, that was the condition, situation with myself. So therefore, my wife... <laughs> said, that's it, I'm out of here. I'm not taking this. I'm not taking this abuse. I'm not subjecting my child to this abuse. I'm not living on the road. And, and she left. I, I, I went and I tried, to, I tried to patch up and rectify the situation, but it was not possible. I had worldly obligation. I had worldly obligation there. By Krishna's arrangement, I wasn't able to fulfill that worldly obligation or by the arrangement of providence or whatever you want to say or by the fact that I just was neglectful and said well my Krishna consciousness is more important so I went back to the movement and I, I continued my devotional service more than likely being being a fall, the fallen soul that I am I would certainly not complete this path of Krishna consciousness in this life so that obligation is still there and that's what Prabhupada is speaking of here that we may still have material obligation that's not properly fulfilled. And because it is not properly fulfilled, we may be subject, because of the laws of nature, to some reaction because of that. And Prabhupada says, even lower birth. We may take a, a, you know, an, a, a, not such an auspicious birth because of that. But that is distinct from that's distinct from, and it's specifically mentioned, Prabhupada says, that he is not the loser because auspicious Krishna consciousness is never forgotten. 
And one so engaged will continue to be so, even if he is low born in the next life. And then Prabhupada goes on. On the other hand, one who simply follows strictly the prescribed duties need not necessarily attain auspicious results if he is lacking in Krishna consciousness. So again, and we, we mentioned this so many times, that materially, material activities and the road of transcendence, they're, they're basically in opposition. Our taking to, to transcendental devotional service is, is basically declaring war against the material energy. But decla- declaring that war and trying to to free ourselves from this material world does not exempt us from from the reactions of this world. Krishna may let those reactions, he may let us be subjected to those reactions, or he may not. That is his freedom. The important thing to see here and to understand here is the fact that spiritual life, transcendental activities... Whatever progress is there, that is never lost. And whatever is gained in material life is of no gain. And for one who's practicing pure devotional service, whether he's elevated to the topmost planets within the material world and given all facility, or whether he suffers a reaction for some activity that he that he's some mistaken activity due to material circumstance. We've talked so much in the prior discussions of, about material circumstance. That is truly of no significance when it comes to our devotional practice. There may be some temporary inconvenience, but our true transcendent spiritual activity is never affected by that. So are there any questions on that point? Well, it would seem that that with the advent of Lord Chaitanya, that that would that the Mahamantra is going to nullify those material, so-called material obligations or or problems. They may or he may or may not. If but we don't, is, but it is said, it is said so many times that the Mahamantra is is a cleansing. It of is all these. It's a purification, and it's totally cleansing. Yeah. totally cleansing when it's chanted without offense. Until we reach that level of, of perfect chanting, anyavilasita sunyam, janakarmajanavita, until we le- reach that level where our chanting is unmotivated and uninterrupted, where it's, it's, it's done to please Krishna and for no other purpose. I think sometimes as aspiring devotees, we... It's hard for us to grasp, especially in the beginning, the true depth of what it means to be selfless in service to Krishna. Selfless. and In other words, we're thinking, well, I'm here and I'm chanting Hare Krishna and I'm following my spiritual master. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing my daily stuff. And we actually, the process purifies our heart to such an extent that we actually become completely selfless beyond any doubt that this process of Krishna consciousness and chanting the Maha Mantra will completely purify our heart. 
But there is also a matter of our determination. And that determination, that enthusiasm and determination on our part is going to determine, is going to also have a determining factor on the timeliness of that effective chanting. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. In other words, we really want, we really, we really have to come to the platform of, of pure chanting without any desire. As a service. Mm -hmm. Selfless service. What is a verse? Trinata pi suniche na. Torora pi suhisuna. Amane na manadena. Kirtaniya sadahari. That's selfless. Can we be that selfless in our service? I can go up to the tree and cut off a limb. No protest. I can kick the tree. I can neglect the tree. The tree still offers the fruit. Yes, Archie. Um, one thing I was thinking is it's different for a devotee than someone who's practicing Christian consciousness, the karmic reaction. It's their hand chosen by Krishna. Their karmic re the karmic reactions that come through are hand chosen by Krishna to help you advance in Krishna consciousness. It's not just automatically come from what I understand that you know, like you said, Krishna can or he cannot. Right. He's, he, he can make it happen or make it not happen. And that what it's dependent upon, it's dependent upon what will help you in your Krishna consciousness, will actually help you make advancement. Not just like, you know, to, to smack you because a smack is supposed to happen next. It's will that help you advance. Mm -hmm. It's a little different. It's not just a reaction. It's a... Well, what Archie's saying, I mean, it's kind of, well, it was a few weeks ago we were talking about, it, if this reaction is coming, again, to what we were talking about, mm -hmm. in chanting, we're asking, Krishna, please engage me, please engage me, please engage me. Are these karmic reactions just another push towards that engagement? You know what I mean? Like, sometimes things happening, or fo they're fo it focuses things, it puts things in perspective, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Someone dying puts your own life into perspective for that however long you're willing to be part of that little thing. I mean, I can say that for my own self. Like, my father dying uh, focused me to try to get more serious about Krishna consciousness because, you know, my own, your own mortality comes into question at that point. You know, I mean, so many things that it seems like people can have reactions either way. You know, it can either drive them away or it can push them forward. I mean... Right, we touched, know, we've touched upon that. Yeah. We, we, as practitioners... We also have to use our intelligence to determine the mentality and the way we deal with things. <coughs> ultimately, though, ultimately that we have to we have to see everything as as Krishna's mercy upon us. And if he if he chooses to neglect us, and we can still go on in our Krishna consciousness, how much advancement is that? If you pick me up or embrace me, or if you make me brokenhearted, that's that's ultimately for our purification. Oh, you, you said um, when you chant the holy names, you're asking Krishna. Well, it's really more of it's it's a begging mood and attitude to engage me. Please engage right, me. Please please engage me. Please. But isn't that almost isn't that a desire? 
That's not a material desire. Yeah, not for yourself. You're like, you know, again, it's that the letting go. You know, that is what our position is in this material world. Everything we do here, everything here is based on based on a selfish desire, based on uh, you know exploitation. Everything here is exploit. To exploit is is to enjoy. If in this world. Everyone is in competition, everyone, because everyone wants to exploit for their own personal benefit. That is material existence. Now, you, you could take the first out spiritually is to simply boycott material life. Okay, I won't engage. <laughs> Cutting off, shutting the door, I'm not doing anything. Okay, that's a boycott. When a boycott, nothing's accomplished, is it? So the impersonalists, they boycott material existence. I'm not doing anything. And if by not doing anything, I'll have my spiritual peace. Karma won't affect me. Some sorrow won't affect me. But that, first there's the exploitive mentality of our material existence. Or we take to a spiritual mentality, well let me just boycott everything, I'm not doing anything. Sitting right here, that's it. No, no more reaction for me. But above that is the concept of true spiritual engagement. Where I'm not working to exploit, I'm working in complete selfless service to the Supreme. And that complete selfless service not only is to the Supreme Himself, but to every living entity. Therefore, we see the pure devotee, he doesn't exploit in any way. And the, fir the first thing we learn is if we really want to make spiritual advancement, exploitation ends. And what's the, in this world, what's, what's the primary exploitation? For my life, I take your life. For my tongue, I take you. And basically, as long as material existence is there, we also, even though we're devotees, we're also taking, but we're taking and give to Krishna's pleasure. So we take the vegetable, yes, it, is, it may, be, may die, but we're offering the result to Krishna. And Krishna accepts that. And when Krishna accepts, everyone benefits. When Krishna kills, everyone benefits. Anything that comes in contact with Krishna every, is all beneficial to all living entities. That's Krishna's nature. We have to come to that level of service. Not exploitation, not boycotting, but service. As Prabhupada says in the concluding, the purport, the concluding verse, Baj, we have to engage in service to the Supreme. Anyway, I thought that was important. I thought Prabhupada making that point that we may still be subjected. In fact, sometimes Krishna in his infinite wisdom he turns the fire up. We take the spiritual life and he turns the fire up. Sometimes he takes everything away from us. We're situated in material life. We're very comfortable. Everything's great. And all of a sudden, Krishna comes along and smashes it all. And he, he talks about that. He, he says, yes, I do that. Sometimes I do that to help push you along. Take to, the, take to this process of Krishna consciousness. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to get off the verse. Mm -hmm. There was another verse we covered in these last seven that I wanted to ask you about. Um, 
Well, let me work up to that. Okay. Let me go through these real quick, All and right. then we'll take your question. All right, so let's go to text 41. The unsuccessful yoga, after many, many years of enjoyment on the planets of the pious living entities, is born into a family of righteous people or into a family of rich aristocracy. Suchi nam srimatam gehe. Suchi, suchi. Good family, religious, clean. What suchi mean? Clean family. You know, no sinful life. So suchi nam. Shri, srimatam. Shri, what's Shri? Shri's the goddess of fortune, right? Shri, wealthy family, aristocratic wealthy family. Krishna makes the point. If you fall down in your yoga practice and you've just begun, and I don't know, the only thing that every time I think of this concept, it, I, I, I think of a Rolling Stone song. <laughs> you've got to get your yayas out. Maybe it was an album. I don't know. I've never even... I, Maybe, but in other words, Krishna, Krishna says, go to the heavenly planets and be done with it. Be done with it. Take it all. Let me give you a long life, all material facility, everything coming your way. You will become frustrated even up there. Then, once you've come to that frustration from such an overindulgence in material enjoyment... And don't we notice that when we overdo it? Huh? It's like, whoa, I, 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 this, is, this isn't good. You know, you go too far in your material enjoyment. Uh, you know. Um. The taste of milk becomes sour. Yeah. It becomes very sour. Life itself becomes fully sour. So simply, those people that go to the heavenly planets, the yogis, they're given all facility. What happens? They become frustrated, Prabhupada points out in the purport, then let them come back and take birth. All right? Let them take back, come back and take birth, birth, suchinam, in a prius, religious activity, no sinful life, suchinam or srimatam, rich, aristocratic family. Text 42, or if unsuccessful, and here Prabhupada on his translation points out that the, the last verse refers referred to somebody that was, wasn't was successful in yoga practice after a very short period of time. Okay? And if unsuccessful after long practice of yoga, he takes birth in the family of transcendentalists who are surely great in wisdom. Certainly such a birth is rare in this world. In the purport to this verse, Prabhupada even makes mention of his own and his spiritual master's birth. Yogi Nam, a transcendental family. A, 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 a family of acharyas, a family of devotees, no sidetracking. Little service, sidetracking, let's get the material propensities out. Fixed service, coming, you know, firmly, firmly advancing in our devotional practice, yogi nam, family in a birth in a family of transcendentalists. You're born into the Hare Krishna movement. <laughs> From the beginning, you see the deity every morning. Your parents take you to Kirtan every evening. So that's the, that is the destination of one who doesn't complete the process, but has advanced nicely, substantially in his devotional service. So we, can, we at least we need to 
We need to finish up in this lifetime and not take any more birth. But let's at least become sincere enough that if we do have to take birth, let's be born with the devotees. Let's be born yoginam in a family of transcendentalists, people that have no interest in material affairs. Or, as Bhaktivinoda prays, well, I'm so fallen, I know my destination is, 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 is going to be the worst because of my, my, my offenses. Can I at least be some insect or some little mouse in the <laughs> house of a devotee? Then I would think my life, that my birth was a successful birth. That is the humility of, of the advanced devotees. They don't even think they'll be qualified for human birth, but they're pe- praying, well, yeah, if, at least can I be born in, in a home, a home of a Vaishnav, if I have to be take birth as an animal? Or as Uddhava prayed, he stated after, after going to Vrindavan and having the association of the gopis, can I be born as a plant? And the dust from the gopi's lotus feet could land on me. Then I would consider that birth successful. The text you had a question on was 44? Uh, yeah. Okay. Long practice takes birth in the family of transcendentalists. And Prabhupada even alludes to his own birth and Bhaktisiddhanta's birth there as to that kind of transcendental birth. Uh, of course, we know Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati. <clears throat> Goswami Maharaj was born... Uh, as a son of uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, uh, another pure devotee uh, and significant uh, acharya in the line coming from Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Prabhupada mentions his father was a pure devotee of the Lord and from this very birth he was introduced to the practice of Krishna consciousness and worship of Radha Krishna deities and performance of, of the Rathi Atra even as a young child. On taking such a birth, he revives the divine consciousness of his previous life and he again takes to, tries to make further progress in order to achieve complete success, O son of Kuru. By virtue of the divine consciousness of his previous life, he automatically becomes attracted to the yogic principles, even without seeking them. Such an inquisitive transcendentalist stands always above the ritualistic principles of the scriptures. So we're talking about when, when someone is born in the family of devotees, in the family of, of practicing bhaktas, that birth is above any material encumbrance. Isn't that what Krishna's saying here? There's no need to worry about the rituals which encumber those that are simply on a path of righteousness. The karmakanda sections of the Vedas which deal with advancement in material life. And there's so many rules and regulations so that we uh, care for our forefathers and that we advance and that we uh, don't fall down and we're guaranteed elevation to the heavenly planets. Transcendentalists, they don't care for that. It's of no concern to them. All they care of is pleasing Krishna unconditionally. So you had a question on there? Well, it was just one line in here. 
it says even without seeking them. And, you know, they'll be, be attracted to the yoga principle. That second line, even without seeking them, I was a little confused. You know, I mean, how do you become attracted to something without? I you know, I was thinking about that, and now I'm not. I, I don't make any claim yeah. to any any advancement in devotional service, but I can tell you an interest my, an interesting thing from my own life. I, I grew up in in southwestern Pennsylvania in a small little town, and in the small town there weren't any yogis, there weren't any yoga studios. <laughs> I mean, come on, there was a main street, that was about it. I mean, this is a small town. I often, you know, it's interesting. As soon as I went out off to college, the first thing, and I didn't meet any yogis at college, there weren't any yogi stu- yoga studios, but somehow or other, I was attracted to the practice of yoga, and I'd never really heard of it in my youth. I never even heard of it in college. I think I just stumbled across a book. And I said, oh, I like that. And immediately, I started practicing Hatha Yoga. And I got really into it. I mean, really into it. Like, fanatical into it. Something's there. Some, some attraction was there to practice Hatha Yoga and Pranayama. And believe me, I wasn't good at Hatha Yoga. I have no knees. I can't do any of the, the things. But pranayama, breathing I can do. Yeah. <laughs> Came kind of naturally. And I really pushed myself. When I was 18 and 19, I pushed myself to the max in doing this. Why? Where, where did that attraction come from? It certainly didn't come from my parents. Didn't come from the pa- people that raised me, even though my parents died young. The people that raised me, well, they had nothing like that in their background. A merchant and simply sell working men's clothing and, a, and a, his wife. The only thing of interest to them was Saturday night fights, you know. <laughs> and Ed Sullivan, I, that was it. <laughs> you know, maybe uh, you know Lucy. <laughs> oh, man. Where did that come from? Maybe it was a good book. It was just real motiv- uh, inspiring. No, that's what Prabhupada's speaking of. Someone who's in devotional service. Someone who has practiced devotional service in their prior life. And that's why I must have done some Hatha Yoga or been a, did some kind of Pranayama in a prior life. And I was naturally attracted even though there was no background. Similarly, what Prabhupada was alluding to here, those people that don't practice Hatha Yoga, those people that practice devotional service, that actually chant Hare Krishna, that serve the devotees, they will be naturally drawn to this practice of devotional service. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Naturally, they at, come. At first, that line, like I said, when it was just saying, even without seeking, and I was like, well, how do you become attracted to something without seeking it whatsoever? But I guess some but you kind see, of, sometimes some sort of introduction comes you walk, into your yeah. life one way or the other. I mean, you know, I mean... You I just walked... Yeah. I walked by the bookstore and I saw, you know, Autobiography of a Yogi. Yeah. So, uh, book on yoga. Yeah, it's yeah. It's the same idea, <coughs> man. Yoga, what's that? Oh, Krishna's making the arrangements to continue. To make the continuation. My gosh, it's after nine. I've spoken much too long tonight.
I was going to say one more thing because Haley mentioned this to me in this body of to an older edition. Mm-hmm. That line is not there. It doesn't say uh, the line we were all speaking about earlier as far as this is my opinion. Mm. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then you can bring it up to Jai Dwayne. He'll be no, here no, be next yeah. month on the uh, 23rd, the thir- third or fourth Thursday. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, that would be an interesting conversation. Yeah, it would. So this is this is a later version then. Yeah, this is a deluxe like So a yogi is greater than an aesthetic, greater than the empiricist, and greater than the fruitive worker. There Krishna's kind of recapping in text forty six everything that he's touched on in the prior Chapters after the introduction, that's the second chapter. Okay, the empiricist, the, the Sankhya Yoga. First, the fruit of worker. So he says it's better, better than the fruit of worker, better than the, the mental speculator, the, the empiricist. Uh, the Bhakti Yogi is better. And of course, the better than the, the person that is simply content to worship the Lord in his heart. And then in the verse we read tonight, the specific significance is given to service. The fact that this, this is a living thing, this, this process of devotional service. Any other questions? I'm sorry for being so long-winded. <laughs>